0: Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully.
1: Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. I'm Marcus Honeysett. This is the first of two related podcasts on resilience and rest in Christian work. In this one, I'm going to explore ministry pressure, which is the issue underlying resilience, and then next time I'll be reflecting on rest. The main Bible verse I want to hang over this episode, unsurprisingly, is Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what we're thinking about. Resilience is found in the fact that Jesus is a rock. He is not shaken even when absolutely everything else is. And we want to be attached to him. When I started out as a young student minister many years ago, a general assumption was that the period from September through to Easter was a long slog, but that the summer term and the university vacation period were much more relaxed and slower paced. So we were told, gird up your loins for action for the first part of the academic year, expect long, strenuous, hard, but glorious work for the Lord, but with the expectation that Sabbath rest and replenishment are guaranteed later. OK, it was not exactly a biblical pattern of regular, delightful rest with the Lord one day in seven, which then empowers our work, but at least it was a pattern that recognised the need for rest and replenishment. Somehow, however, it never quite seemed to work. There was always one university that didn't have the normal patterns of study and exams. There were always students with pastoral crises in the summer term. There were summer mission teams abroad to run, freshers' events to prepare for the new term. The intentions for rest were good, but for me at any rate, they never really quite delivered. And critically, nobody ever taught me how to make them deliver or took responsibility to help me embrace spiritually healthier patterns. Nobody taught me practically how to make Matthew 1128 28-30 real in my life. Over the years I've discovered just how much ministry culture can actually encourage the opposite. We can be wedded to using visible activity as some kind of measure of achievement, or even of spiritual value. We want to be seen to be busy and successful, whatever successful even means in Christian ministry. And for me, when I give in to those temptations, I quickly squeeze out my spiritual life. And that then leads me into ministering perpetually out of unfreshness, with a lack of enjoyment in God, but trying to mask it because nobody had better know about that. When that's the case... The casualty is my worship life, my prayer life. Wisdom is a casualty, because all of those flow out of space with the Lord. Our ministry loses its spiritual value when we lose our joy in God. Because at that point we can present Him accurately for sure, but we can no longer honestly present Him as compelling and captivating. Everybody who has been in Christian work for a while knows the temptation to go through the motions. Nobody will know because we all know how to look good in front of an audience. Nobody will know because we don't lose our technical skill. But we know that our hearts are far from God and they're just not in it when we're not enjoying him. It's a terrible thing to think that you have to go through the motions in Christian ministry and that you can fool people. But we can fool people, our masks can be ever so good. So that is what is at stake in the issue of resilience. The main question for Christian leaders is not, can we press through exhaustion and be strong? As if strength is somehow what the Lord requires of us. 2 Corinthians 12 gives the lie to that, where we're told to minister out of weakness in order that God's mighty power might be in evidence. We don't like that. Many of us wish 2 Corinthians 12 wasn't in the Bible. Wish that God didn't have an interest in making and keeping us weak and then making us progressively weaker and weaker. We would much rather be strong, thank you very much, dependent on our own abilities, our own skills for survival, so that people might applaud us and gather to us so that they can be safe. Now, the main question is not can we be strong through exhaustion? That's the thing for leaders in other spheres, perhaps, but not for us. We do work hard, but our question is how to maintain joy in God through regularly drawing from the wells of salvation. The reason that's the main issue for us is because that's what we're for. That's the heart of our calling. Our calling as Christian workers is not to feverishly run lots of activities or to be sanctified administrators, it's to lead other people in the knowledge and joy of God. So if we lose that ourselves, it critically damages the heart of our work. The majority of Christian workers I know are bad at space, habitual patterns, Sabbath and rest. And I am too. We don't ask regularly enough, what will help me have a vibrant spiritual life rather than a drained one? The joy of the Lord is our strength, and if that's no longer the centre from which we lead, we won't last the course. I've lost count of the number of folk that I have seen now leave Christian work, humanly speaking, prematurely, because they didn't regularly review that question. I've seen whole theological college classes who started off so keen, thinking that they would minister through to the finish, thinking that they were the exceptions, and discovering to their horror later on that there are no exceptions. All too often, ministers treat overwork and exhaustion as a badge of honour, or at least a a measure of success of some kind, rather than what it is, which is an indicator of self-harm. But subtle self-harm, highly socially approved self-harm. We often live in that world at the expense of our spiritual lives, but few of us would ever dare to admit it. The result of not giving attention to our spiritual vitality is a lot of casualties, both short-term and long-term. And even if somehow we manage to last the course, to have done so with a ministry that is not fresh and vibrant and compellingly Jesus-centred because we are ministering out of lack we can ignore and normalise unhealthy patterns in our twenties, and then find that they are deeply damaging and unsustainable twenty years later. Perhaps we started off thinking that we were the exceptions. As I've already said, there are no exceptions. Another Bible passage that highlights the danger well is in Exodus 18, a very familiar passage. Let me read a few verses from Exodus 18 is Exodus 18, verses 12 to 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Well, there's the issue. Quite a contrast between the evening before, sacrificing and eating together in the presence of God, and the day after, judging to the point of exhaustion morning till night, settling disputes, making known the statutes of God, the people coming to inquire of God from Moses. So they want to know God's will for their lives, and specifically they think they want to know God's will for their lives via him. And then Moses doesn't delegate. We don't know why. Maybe he didn't feel he had permission from God to do so. Maybe it's because all the people have just got used to him being the mediator and he just settled for it. Maybe because once upon a time the burdens weren't too heavy, but it got out of control slice by slice, as it so often does. Whatever it was, verse 23 implies that he couldn't stand the strain, and that it was wearing out not only Moses, but also the people who were coming to him. Hebrews 13 says something similar. That when leaders are overburdened, it does the people no good because they lose their joy in God and as a result, everybody else loses their joy in God too. But it was all good stuff. Moses wasn't doing anything sinful. It was just unwise patterns he had settled for. And if Moses can faint and buckle, you just bet that we can. Moses' problem wasn't the things that he was doing. And it wasn't the working hard. His problem was overextension. He was maxed out and doing more than was possible to sustain. I wonder what causes you to max out. I wonder if you know what the point is when you start to tip over into the law of diminishing returns, doing more and more but seeing less and less result or vitality. For me I can think of a whole variety of internal expectations that I place on myself that cause me to max out. Perfectionism, anxiety, bearing burdens alone, unwillingness to say no, worry about neglecting things that then fall apart. But we can wrestle with external expectations too. Some of them are real, some of them are just our perception. But a lot of things can work together to lead us to think that we have to be able to deliver the impossible. And then there are situational factors that can mean demand outstrips our leadership capacity. Over-ambitious plans, perhaps. Simply the assumption that more can be done than actually can be done, or done in a spiritually healthy way. Or some kind of ecclesiological expectations that we have to squeeze a quart out of a pint pot, as we sometimes say in Britain. We have to do the absolute maximum that possibly can be done in the time allowable, or we'll feel guilty and lazy, leaving us with no time for rest, refreshment, appreciation of God and his good creation. Perhaps supportive people give up. Or move on, and then leaders are just expected to pick up the slack when we were overburdened already. Generally speaking, it's far easier to acquire activities in Christian work than it is to get rid of them. It's one of the reasons that almost all church has a zombie ministry or two. It was good in its time, then it died, but it ceased to stop moving. And then perhaps there are also cultural reasons for embracing unsustainability. People just have a lot of expectations of ministers, and they don't know what other things we're carrying. In my part of the vineyard, there's something of a philosophy of ministry, of getting the most done in the time available so as not to feel that we have wasted our lives. Perhaps it's a bit of Protestant work ethic. Redeem the time, we're told. And by the way, everybody else's, So you will feel like a guilty slacker by comparison if you don't. Not examining these things is serious. Serious at any point, but especially over the long term. It is a recipe for our load being greater than our limit. When that sets in, the pressure will mean that we keep going beyond the point where spiritual dryness overtakes us. We will value activity more than prayerfulness or rest, because activity is what we get applauded for. We rarely leave room for crises, so we end up perpetually fighting fires. And for some, tragically, home life and marriage will suffer in order to keep the activities running. These things are frequent causes of leader burnout and breakdown. And of course it can only take one person to crack, and the fallout can cascade through an entire organisation or church as leader after leader tries to take up the burden And then they find that they are in an unsustainable situation and they crack in turn. Actually, we are wise to consider the pressure well before then. Because a long time before that happens, we have already ceased being spiritually vibrant. If we have become as spiritually dry and exhausted as anyone else in the church, or more so, we should no longer feel confident that we can feed the flock. I've mentioned the law of diminishing returns. We have limits. We all meet the law of diminishing returns. The tipping point after which the effort we put into something produces less and less and is more debilitating and destructive of our spiritual energy and our joyful discipleship. One pointer is when activity is supplanting prayerfulness. When that happens, we can be sure that something is going wrong. You might not be able to pinpoint exactly what it is, but there is something. We end up with duty that can be little more than Martha Syndrome at best and slavery at worst. The result in evangelical churches is often a culture where everyone feels it is necessary to accomplish everything that possibly could be accomplished. Possibly even driven by the fact that we think that people won't hear the gospel and will go to hell if we don't. There is no more horrible driver of overheated activity than that. Leaders can subtly egg each other on to more and more, rather than to healthiness. I wonder if the encouragement in your church is to more, or whether it's to healthiness. Nobody knows how to get off the hamster wheel, because stepping off it would just increase the burden on everybody else, and then we'd feel really guilty. These things become compulsive, driven by a multiplicity of factors. Baked in, and we think they're not easily negotiable. The result is a lot going on, a lot of activity, but grinding to a halt spiritually, commonly around the age of 45 or after 15 years in ministry. But we can mask the grinding to a halt with the activity. What is not happening at this point is nurturing a healthy life with God. Task so easily replaces Jesus. Well, that's just to briefly describe some of the contours of the issue. I've seen leadership situations where people felt guilty even admitting they felt pressured. Perhaps somebody will think I'm incapable if I say that. Perhaps I'll lose respect that is key to me doing the work. But recognition is a vital first step to correction. Feeling pressure is like a canary in the mine. It's not only okay to recognise our limits, it's essential. God has put limits on us for our good, not for us to permanently push against them and try to exceed them. Perhaps a few listening to this broadcast are tempted instead to laziness, but that's unusual among Christian leaders. What's the answer to these issues of pressure? In many ways, I don't think that's a very helpful question. These things are multi-layered, so any response has to be multi-layered as well. But at rock bottom is the fact that while even youths stumble and fall, God does not grow tired or weary, and those who wait on him renew their strength. So a key question is whether your schedule encourages and insists that you wait on the Lord and hope in the Lord. Or does your schedule prevent it? Our diaries can be key barometers. What are they tools for? Are our diaries tools for our spiritual lives or tools for our activity lives? Unless we wait on the Lord and use every tool at our disposal to help us, pressure and tiredness overwhelm everybody eventually. Input exceeding output is the main thing. I love this quote from Tony Horsfall. If your output exceeds your input, sooner or later the shortfall will be your downfall. If your output exceeds your input, sooner or later the shortfall will be your downfall. The antidote is rest and receiving encouragement from others. And indeed, receiving encouragement with others to rest. In my experience, very few Christian leaders manage to renegotiate pressure on our own. We rarely have the deliberateness to do so. And if we are considering these things with other people, it's very often competitive. Bringing the necessary change means altering my patterns, expectations of myself and others, my attitude to time, activity, and how I use those things for affirmation. It takes practical strategies for getting off the hamster wheel and embracing a different view of work and rest, all of which are very hard and in isolation basically impossible. For most of us, it takes Jethro to come and to help us analyse the factors and encourage us to make changes. Step one in taking the lid off the pressure cooker is intervention of spiritual care without which we can't get to renegotiation and healthy and accountable new patterns, which is step two. Some of us would like to go straight to step two without step one. It almost always fails. The question is, what practically can be changed in my life in order to live with a long-term margin? What will help me set my thresholds below the maximum possible level of activity, in order to avoid overloaded living. You might think, well, I just can't. I just need to be more resilient. My circumstances simply aren't amenable to that. My response is that however difficult, you must, because there are inevitable consequences further down the line if you don't. Your margins might be very small. I remember when we had a two-year-old who didn't sleep, and my wife and I were getting three hours sleep a night for 18 months. I tried and tried to keep the same things going, because they were expected of me, until I keeled over. I knew that I had to ratchet things back. I couldn't maintain the same level of output, but I needed intervention from outside, and finally one of my fellow elders provided it by pointing out that I wasn't being any good to anybody and insisted that I took an eldership sabbatical, and that just about provided the margin I needed. I wonder what you need for your encouragement in these things. Is it someone to confide in, to share burdens, to help you think about the factors that feed pressure for you? Is it like Moses, some help to prioritise and delegate? Is it some way of stepping out of your situation for input, rest, and spiritual formation? Is it uh, replacing incorrect expectations of you with correct ones? Either your own or those that are placed upon you by others. Do you need to renegotiate that? Do you need to renegotiate stopping doing some things? Is your need healthy relationships in real fellowship? Or establishing a new pattern of working or volunteering that allows for margins rather than being maxed out? Whatever it is, Uh, These things are the things that will give attention to your prayer life, your worship life and your scripture and start to put things in the right perspective. Taking the lid off the pressure cooker starts with honest review and almost certainly not on your own. For me, a key question is, who is looking after my well-being? And that is not a selfish question, that is not a luxury when other people's spiritual well-being depends on mine. Well, I hope there's some useful reflection there for you. We live in a world where pressure to perform and achieve come at us hard and fast in every sphere. Productivity and performance are seen as key indicators. It's incredibly easy to Christianize it. Exhaustion is normal in work lives and we bring it all too easily into our Christian service. It may be that the Lord has used this reflection to help you see that pressure and fatigue And anxiety are signs from our humanness that we have our limits. We are wise to not try to exceed them, and we are not living in the centre of God's purposes for our humanness when we do. A couple of verses to finish off. Jeremiah 31.25 says he will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. And Isaiah 40.31 Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. In Living Leadership we have an associates network of experienced pastors of pastors. If you're in Christian work and would like to have somebody to walk alongside you, to mentor you or to encourage you, then check out our website. Once again that is www.livingleadership.org and that can be arranged. Thank you again for listening. Do hit subscribe And check out our resources at the website and you can find me on Twitter at Marcus Honeysett. and I'll look forward to tuning in with you next time for part two on rest.
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. You'll find us on any major social media platform, at Living Leaders, or visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll also find more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.